Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Here at HF Pod, nothing happens without coffee. Believe me, I've seen all four of us before we've had our coffee in the morning, and it's not pretty. 
So we're really lucky to have a new sponsor, Passion House Coffee Roasters from Chicago. Uh, Passion House was founded by a longtime fan, and they've been sourcing and roasting some of the best beans in the world since 2011. Their founder, Joshua, his first show was 618.94, and he, as he says, it's all been gravy since then. We're not talking about gravy, we're talking about coffee. So Passion House is asking for your help naming one of their newest coffees an experimental micro lot from a renowned farm in Colombia. So they already have coffees with names like Millie Grace, LSD, and Box of Rain, so the bar is high for a new name, but we think you can help. So if you go to passionhousecoffee.com slash Osiris, you can read about the coffee and submit your idea for the coffee name. While you're there, pick up some freshly roasted beans so you can have a cup of coffee and catch your breath, of course. They ship everywhere and our listeners get 30% off of their coffee, so enter Osiris at checkout. So again, send us your names for coffee, pick up some coffee, drink coffee, and thanks, Passion House. What's up, everybody? It's Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 156. I'm here with Brad. Hi, friends. And Matt. Howdy. We are here. Jonathan would join us, but Matt, what's the status? He's playing Dungeons and Dragons all day. <laughs> um, and that's that's not a euphemism for watching the final episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, he's literally, he's playing Dungeons and, Dra- and Dragons all day. So um, we, We've could, had, if only, if only it were a joke. No, I mean, I, I think if you were trying to like hide the fact that you were watching the last episode of Game of Thrones, you'd come up with something cooler, like, oh, like I have to like you know take my hoverboard in for a tune-up, or like I have a date with the supermodel or something like that. And he's just straight up like, no, nah, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so, yeah. right, more right power to him, man. Good luck with the campaign, Jonathan. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine, man. We we made up a lot of stories about where Brad was, but th- that might have been the best one. You know, <laughs> it wasn't made up though. I know, it's so good. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, as they said um, in that book. No, but we miss Jonathan. But we're back. We're going to talk about summer tour. It feels like just yesterday that uh, Matt was bragging about going to Mexico, and Brad was running for city council back in the winter. And now here we are, and we're getting ready for summer. Can you guys believe it? it feels like it really came up fast. It's it's hot out there. It's hot. It's actually hot. Extremely hot. Is it hot in Phoenix, Brad? No, it's really been nice lately, actually. Yeah, it's 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 surprisingly nice. Unbelievable. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint. The um, It's an early summer tour start, though. Let's mention that. It is yeah. coming quickly, but at the same time, beginning of June-ish is, is a pretty early start. Yeah, true. Yeah. Usually you're like, you're well into your summer by the time you get to see fish, but mm-hmm. not for, not for the lucky citizens of St. Louis uh, who get to see them on June 11th, the tour opener. Missouri. Missouri. Um, <laughs> the size, you know, scene of some great fish shows. So good for them. Matt, are you, there's 26 shows this <laughs> summer where we can't go. You want me, I'll tell you about every good St. Louis fish show right now, Brad. You want me to do it? <laughs> no, I'm just, I like that you said good for them. You're proud of them. <laughs> Matt, Matt, we got Matt, 26 shows starting St. Louis, finishing, well, at the end of the summer in Dix, but wrapping up the first part in, in Alpine. Sort of a strange uh, tour in that it's like a configuration that you haven't seen before, I think, with some stuff thrown in there. What's your take on how the tour uh, looks from here? It is a weird tour, although um, it's 
strangely a lot like the tour uh, from the year that we're we're going to talk about uh, this show tonight. Um, it was the last time that they. They're, so they're playing Bonnaroo this year. Um, mm-hmm. They've got these couple of warm-up indoor shows uh, before they head to Bonnaroo. And then um, it's the first half of the summer tour, and then there's like nothing for the rest of the summer. And based on the fact that we saw Trey announce Carnegie Hall dates uh, right around Halloween, uh, would seem safe to say no fall tour as well. So we may have like, you know, a couple weeks of shows, like six weeks off before Dick's, and then like, you know, the typical like four months off or whatever before New Year's runs. So seems like this is going to be a pretty light year. 27 summer shows? Is that what you said? 26 by my count, but I'm, I'm not I'm not great at math. That's a, it's still a decent amount of shows for a summer run. Um, yeah. For example, this year we're going to look at, it's broken down to like early summer and late summer. You could probably do that with this, right? If you include dicks into the back end of the summer. I think it, it seemed to me like a lot. We're, we're, we're filling out our spreadsheet for our quick hits, which by the way, if you want to participate, please hit us up. A, a lot of people have hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and email. Um, we should maybe just use one of those channels, but instead we'll just check, continue checking them all um, <laughs> to make it confusing for everybody. But um, it, it seemed like a lot when I was, I kept adding more rows and I was like, wait, are there more shows. It just, it seemed, it seemed like a lot, but um Two two nights, Brad, in Bangor, which where where you and I spent time together, and yeah. um, man, that that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool for people who make the trek up there. That's in between MPP and Camden. Uh, is that like a sleeper sort of thing? Because there's got to be people who are going to skip those skip those two shows, right? Yeah, I, th- I thought you were going to say it's in between like Augusta and nowhere, right? Like <laughs> Bangor, but like um, <laughs> you, you uh, but. I, I, it's I think it's a it's a really cool spot both both like uh, in that it's a it's a great place to be in the summertime um, but also kind of it won't be hot like it, there's not going to be like a huge scene I don't think and it'll hopefully be relaxed up there but yeah I think it's a it's a sleeper up there for sure two nights is insane but it just shows I I, I think it goes to their prowess of like being able to go to a city and post up for three or four nights or two nights in a place like Bangor and. It's because that's what they do. We don't want to travel that much. Um, and we'll get people to come. It's super out of the way, too, if you think yeah. about that. Like, <laughs> it's so out of the yeah, way. It's too. really out of the way. Yeah. Um, they So they they played in Bangor before. Obviously, they played in Portland. And um, I think they played in Augusta and some other cities up in Maine back in the day. But, yeah, they, uh, you know, the water Waterfront Pavilion. I think people who went last time they played there said it was, said it was you know, a nice place to OOB. go. OOB? Remember the OOB show we did? <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah. I think I actually think that was episode like maybe three. Yeah, I think so. Definitely recorded in my parents' basement. That was weird. <laughs> when I was thirty when I was thirty-four or however old I was then. Um so so what else, Matt, is there anything else that stands out to you um in terms of venues or runs or, or anything? That you'd keep an eye on. It's nice to have, uh, at least for us, the Camden and Merriweather uh, in in the same year thing. Um, we don't really have to do a whole lot of crazy travel to be able to, to catch some shows. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like this is going to be a pretty hot tour. Um, if for no other reason than uh, the amount of... Uh, times that Trey has been playing live recently. Um, all we talked, I think on, on the last episode, like all these different projects, that he's had these tab shows and ghost of the forest shows. And, um, you know, 
announcing a lot of things. He's, there's been like a lot of news and energy and performances and stuff from him. So I feel like he's going to come into this tour like really, really um, well rehearsed and, and ready to play. We know that the band has been rehearsing. Uh, Mike shared some stuff on Instagram. So um, I don't I, I, th- I feel like maybe we're not going to see as much of that like early tour uh, warm up kind of stuff. And even if we do, they're going to get that out of the way in like St. Louis and Bonnaroo. And so, you know. Sorry for those people, but uh, good for everybody else. <laughs> There's like a very slim chance that I could go to Bonnaroo, but n- I'm not going anymore. Um, Bonnaroo's a classic warm-up show. I'm glad it's at the start of the tour because it gives them time. They don't have to like, I don't know what I'm saying. They don't, they don't have to put out anything epic. No 20-minute um, or 30-minute tweezers at Bonnaroo. You know what I mean? Yeah, the festivals uh, The festivals haven't really delivered great shows, right? Bonnaroo and Lock-In. Yeah. Um, over yeah. in, over the past several years, um, I should say the the other time they played at Darling's Waterfront Pavilion in Bangor was the first show of Summer Tour 2013, yes. which was yes. like the first I think the first great year of of 3.0. So you know we we should go back up there, Brad. Visit visit some I, old friends next time. I would I would. I mean, it's my mom lives kind of out of the way in Maine, and it's still a hike from my mom's house. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's way up there. We're, we're joking about. Um, so I wanted a little bit, maybe another question about festivals. Is that like a thing that they do on purpose, where they know that they've got some non, you know, fish kids in attendance, and they'll play what they think are the hits or or some uh, stripped down songs? I don't know. Is that is that or is that just kind of us overanalyzing? I, I think Matt would probably have a more intelligent answer to this than me. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, the fan in me wants to say that, like, they would never do anything but the best that they can do on that given night. But the evidence is there that, like, you know, you were just rattling off a bunch of festival shows, except for Lockin. I think Lockin's a little bit different because that was still sort of, well, it's sort of, yeah, I mean, it's a jam band festival, right? I mean, it's like, that's kind of like where it's gotten, uh, kind of found its home is like the return of the jam band festival because so many of these festivals like Bonnaroo started out in the jam scene and then mm-hmm. gradually became Indian pop festivals. Um, so I think that's like a little bit different, but like, yeah, for your Bonnaroo, your Austin city limits, um, uh, you know, outside lands, they did outside lands one year, um, like all that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like they're going to, they wind up playing a pretty straightforward show similar to like what we usually call like the Saturday night special, you know, the, the, the bigger well-known <laughs> yeah. songs and they're going to run through like 18 songs in the second set or something like that. And, you know, some noobs that have never seen them are going to have the time of their life because they're on weird drugs and they're seeing fish for the first time. Um, we're meanwhile, like we're going to um, look at that as jaded vets and say, you know, glad I didn't like go sit in a field for 12 hours to see that show. <laughs> Isn't Tab Tab playing the Peach Fest too, or did that already happen? Or uh, I believe they are. Yeah, that... yeah, yeah. And they're playing and yeah. lock in too. And there's like some lock in. Yeah, there's some cool collaborations going on at Lock in with Trey. Um, Jeez, Louise. As well, yeah. Derek yeah. Derek Jeez. Trucks is playing with them. Got to find mm. a way to make that happen. So so we're we're going to talk about 2012 a little bit, um, and and talk about the first show of that tour, and. 2012, like at that time, (laughs) one year before you said they got good, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say at that time, at that time, that was like kind of the best year of 3.0 and then it kept getting better. But, um, I feel like this tour, this summer tour is a little bit overlooked because like the end of the 
the tour, you know, the, the Dick shows in 2012 kind of, I think to a lot of people are like when people started paying attention or when fish became fish again in, in, in fish 3.0 or that, that's, that's how I feel at least. I don't know. Do you guys agree? Do you think that this, like this summer tour is a little bit overlooked and maybe they were already, um, kicking ass and, and that Dick's show and at the end of August, 2012 was just like a good example. Like Matt, do you go back to these shows at all? Um, yeah, I actually do. So I, I actually, I completely agree with what you were just saying. Um, I'll wave the flag for, for summer 2012. I always have, uh, since that year. Um, like you said, people talk about dicks and I do agree that like, that was a huge turning point. Um, particularly the, the first night, the fuck your face show was just so good, legendary and still one of the best shows that they've played in the last 10 years. Um, but they were better than the summer shows, but, but not like leaps and bounds. Like it wasn't like this came out of nowhere. Um, I, I don't know about you guys. I saw, I guess like a, it was just over a week of the tour. Um, I did, uh, Bader field and then Portsmouth oh, yeah. and then Burgettstown. They were all convenient for me to like hit all of those that were in a row and actually stop home between each run and, went to work and all this stuff. It was just like crazy routing for the tour that it worked out. And I thought all of those shows were like phenomenal. Um, Mm. There was really great stuff, you know, at Bader field, the Portsmouth was where they had the, that was the tucking run. You suck at tucking and it was like crazy antics. And then the Burgettstown show doesn't get talked about enough. That's actually, um, that's got a killer jam out of light. That was the origin of that song. You never know. Um, Mm. from the wingsuit set um Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. really crazy stuff there so i was a huge fan of this tour um and i you know we listened to this show we should we should tell the the kind people what show we're talking about here this is the the first night of the entire tour at uh at the dcu center or the the centrum in worcester um and uh i was like i didn't i didn't really have any kind of memories of this and i was like wow man like this really they really did start off that summer pretty hot um so i don't know first like, thing br- i thought of too brad when you when you think of 2012 what do you think of in general yeah you know not much which is not surprising for people who know me but um <laughs> the uh, <laughs> what's brad thinking what's brad thinking about not much nah. <laughs> so um it's uh when i when i went back for this episode it it reminds me a lot of great 3.0 you know what i mean mike's sound uh page i think is on fire um some great jams but also some good covers and some nice slows so um it it uh it was a welcome reminder that that i should listen to more of this i guess these you know this summer specifically what shows, yeah, I, what shows did you see that summer, Brad? Uh, in 2012, I don't think I saw anything except Dicks. Yeah, I only saw the three Baderfield shows um, and then a couple of MSG shows later in the year. But um, our friend Patrick gave me mm-hmm. some something um, like a, a, a piece of caramel, which I thought was just caramel, but it wasn't. And um, during the mm. second set of the first night, I was like way in the back, kind of walking around trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Um, but those were some really good shows. Did you go to all three of those, Matt? Yeah. 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 I, I loved the Bader field run. Um, just in terms of like, fun to just hang out during the day and stuff. Oh, uh, it was, I mean, I, listen, I, I, I sound like a broken record, but I, I love when they play in Atlantic city. It's great. Um, you know, staying in the hotel on the boardwalk and either walking it down the boardwalk to boardwalk hall or taking a short walk off the boardwalk to Bader field was like amazing. Um, 
those were great shows. I listened to the uh, the second set of the second night with that uh, light in demand take it back into mm-hmm, light mm-hmm. like all the time. That's that's one of my favorite shows I've seen. That's awesome. And so so the the show that we're talking about is the the first night of uh, Worcester, as you said, Matt, and opening opening the tour indoors as they will this summer um, in St. Louis. So some that's that's not super common i don't think i haven't run the numbers but i don't think it's that common that they they open open indoors but is that uh is there anything notable about that for this run because it seemed like they like came in pretty powerful in this uh this worcester show there there was some rust i think but um it wasn't a warm-up run at all no so well they've they've done this a bunch um because they wind up doing tech rehearsals there uh and they they can't really do that at an outdoor venue. So they always like find a small arena somewhere that doesn't have anything going on and set everything up. Um, and then I think it's usually just a matter of like, do they wind up playing shows there uh, or not? So like that uh, was, that was why like a couple years ago, the tour started in uh, St. Paul, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Same thing. Like they did tech rehearsals for like a week and then played a show there. And then I'm assuming, I actually, I remember Worcester um, in this run being the same thing. Cause there was like people like in a parking garage trying to stream um, rehearsals and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and then I guess same thing with St. You know, Louis. Um, All I'm going to say is that I was at the opening show in 2009 of summer tour at Fenway and they're going back to Fenway and I'm not going to oh, discourage yeah. anyone from going to Fenway, but um, I didn't think those shows were very good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I got um, rid of my Wrigley tickets, um, whatever that was, a couple summers ago. Yeah. Um, because I realized quickly that it wasn't a good idea for me to go there and, and see like a show in such a setting if I was going to travel that far and spend all that money. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I will say that so they, they opened the summer tour this was the first time they opened an indoor show in, in 3.0, but Matt, do you think that there was anything like, like opening in the Northeast, which they don't actually always do these days either. Is that like, what what made these shows really good out of the gate or was it something else like what they were writing at the time or what was going on with the band? Do you have any theories? Cause, or, or actually do you agree that these shows were good? <laughs> first, <laughs> I, I do. I do. Yeah. And I think, what are you, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, so like to, to take a step back and like, look at the big picture. I was trying to think as I listened, re-listened to this show, like, all right, what was like the sound of 2012? And I don't know that there's mm-hmm. like a distinct sound. I think the way that I look at it is more like this was the year that was like the turning point in 3.0 and like 2009, we were excited. Um, 2010 and 2011 were pretty lackluster years. Um, you know, not Trey got the Asadoc. Yes. Like the highlight yes. of it. Right? I mean, there was some good shows peppered throughout there, but like overall those years were like relatively boring. Um, when you look back at them and then 2012, as we talked about, like this, summer tour was really good. There was like great stuff every single night of the tour. And then the Dick shows were pretty legendary. And then like, you know, 2013, you can start to get into talking about how like, you know, composing the wingsuit material was really kind of bringing together the, the jams and things got kind of escalated. Um, but I think like this year, it was kind of transitional because they, they'd done the Plinko mm-hmm. thing for a couple years. And like, you start to hear a little bit of that, but they, Every time I heard that coming up in a jam in this show, like they kind of steered away from it. Like, no, let's not full, you know, get stuck in that crack. Um, it's pretty adventurous. Um, there's some decent jamming. It doesn't have 
like the typical first night stuff that usually goes on. Like usually they play Wolfman's brother and they play stash and like Mm -hmm. they've got kind of their like, you know, gearing up mode that they're in. Um, But this, it kind of feels like a mid tour show. Um, And, and it, it was good. It's, it's got some rust that we'll talk about, but, um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I was surprised at how great it was. Yeah, this is, um, according to Fish.net, the third, you know, the third highest rated show from 2012 after the Dick show we talked about, the Fuck Your Face show, and then the 819 show from Bill Graham, which is also some good Bill Graham shows from 2012 and 2013. But so, yeah, let's get into the show. The show opened with Buried Alive, which, you know, if Jonathan was here, he would say that, you know, that was awesome. But he's not here because he's... Um, as Matt, Matt told you what he's doing, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, cause I don't want to pile on. I just want to refer re- you back to minute, uh, to rehash. Um, <laughs> so buried alive into, into runaway gym, which I, I just found this first set, like pretty high energy for, for a tour opener. And the torn and frayed was a little bit, um, <laughs> there was a little bit of rust on that one. <laughs> Matt, yeah. would, would Matt, did you, did you feel any rust on that? Um, yes, definitely. Uh, <laughs> there's, there, yeah, as I say, like there's some, some good jamming. There's definitely some rust on some of the songs and some of the, uh, and throughout the entire show. So yeah, I agree. I don't think it, I don't think it was terrible. I agree with the rust, uh, like the composed section, the lyrical, whatever section beginning wasn't terrible. <laughs> That's what I'll say about it. <laughs> so... <laughs> If you're still listening, um, the, <laughs> the the runaway jam jam I think is pretty you know typical, but like but felt felt good and the the, um, the crowd was into it. If you listen to the audience recording, actually the, I think the live fish too. I think they have a lot of audience mixed in. Matt, I don't know if that was like normal for that time period or if that's just how it. Is, but I, I heard a lot of audience. And and the people were fucking psyched. Yeah, people mm-hmm. people were definitely into it. Um, and in Runaway Jim, you get the buried alive teases um, mm-hmm. that kind of fired people up.
know, once again, like when in a show and like a tour opening show, second song, do you get those types of antics? Like it was kind yeah. of, they were kind of cluing us into the fact that they were, um, it, it was going to be a new dawn for the band. Do you, in. yeah. Do you guys think that they started working on like any of the wings stuff at this point or no, it had not been born yet. No, no, we're still like fif- yeah, it's 15 months before that. Month, yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot of the jams, like you mentioned, the one from uh, Star Lake. So a lot of those jams were like taken out of 2012. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, I think just can't remember the story, but I think that's what it is. Right? There's yeah, there's some stuff from the Wingsuit set that um, came out of jams from this year. Um, I can't remember the other ones off the top of my head, but that one that I mentioned, you never know. It's go back to the the Burgettstown show, listen to the Light Jam, um, and it's they they kind of landed there. So did you guys, I, I mean, the kind of head scratcher moment of this set is like the <laughs> nothing, ocelot, beauty of a broken heart, possum, rocky top, which I, and some, a lot of people live for possum and I, I respect you all as humans, but, um, that's just like, that's a, that's a strange run of songs. There was like, not really a, you know, second well, set. I mean, I guess the possum is the kind of the peak of the first set. Don't skip the riff which is that you don't know, remember the old riff test mm. and you, and you could, I mean, it's a complicated song with um, technique needed. It was kind of muted, I guess it was a little, um, it was there, but not all the way. Uh, and then, and then nothing ocelot and beauty of a broken heart. I agree. Kind of really slows things up in the second quarter. Um, I, but you can't fault them. We're, we're giving it a lot of praise for being a really good tour opener, but at the same time as a tour opener, you can't fault them for that kind of, kind of like step back, I guess. I, you uh, know, and I would say as far as like run of the mill first set songs, I would take nothing in beauty of a broken heart over a lot of other stuff. Um, mm. That's just me per- yeah. personally. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd love those two songs and I love possum. So fuck you. <laughs> I love Ocelot. I for, love- <laughs> for for people who like Possum, Matt, was this a good Possum? It was fine. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, you know, it's, it takes a lot for Possum to stand out. Um, but, I mean, the run-of-the-mill Possum, I'm a fan of it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, by the way, Nothing, which uh, debuted in 2004, has only been played seven times. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool wow. if you're if you're at one of the, if you're at the show and you, you catch that. And, Beauty of a Broken Heart, tw- only 12 times. And, you know, we haven't seen either in a, in a couple of years. So maybe they uh, numbers. Maybe they can come back at Meriwether for you, Matt, while I'm in California. They so the, the time that they played this after the, this show was actually at Meriwether a couple of years later. We, oh. we, we would have seen that. Oh, look at that. Torn and Freight hasn't been played a bunch either. I know yeah. that um, yeah. Yeah. that was from the, the Festival 8, uh, co- or, you know, the, the costume from that. Yeah, and they they've only played it like six times since then. So, yeah, I mean, really, of this set, like, it, like very, very heavily played first set songs. You really only have uh, "Funky Bitch," "Moma Dance," and "Ocelot," and I guess you could, like you could count "Possum" too. "Rocky Top" like yeah, you, doesn't usually get played in the first set, um, you know. So it's it's good. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, for, they're not playing it safe for the first night. No, no, definitely not. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. 
Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. So I already have my summer tour show checklist. I got my tickets, I got my dancing shoes, and now I have really awesome earplugs from Eardial. They're our newest sponsor, and they provide invisible, high-fidelity hearing protection. So you should know by now that if you don't have hearing protection at shows, you're going to screw up your ears, maybe permanently. I feel pretty strongly about this ever since a friend convinced me to start wearing earplugs a few years ago. And since then, I've tried a lot of different kinds. This past weekend, Jonathan, Matt, and I got to try out Eardial earplugs at Delfest. I have to say, they're some of the most comfortable earplugs I've worn. They fit well, they block out background noise for the occasional talker, and they let the music shine through. You really got to protect your ears, and we recommend using Eardial. So Eardial is offering our listeners 20% off of their earplugs, which you can find at eardial.com slash Osiris. And seriously, we recommend these. They're, they're really good, and we hope to see you at a show this summer sporting them. Check out eardial.com slash Osiris to pick some up today. So what about this second set? I, I was really, I thought the, the, the second set, the first sort of five songs of the second set were really good, starting with the Karini jam, which I just thought was really wonderful. And, and Matt, I don't know if you heard anything in terms of like, you know, what the 2012 sound was, but this is like the first time that I heard, I guess what I would recognize as like modern 3.0 jams. Um, and I don't really know what that means because I can't articulate it, but like not just the Plinko jam or, or some kind of other, it just, it felt a little bit more organic, but also just like a little bit more, um, there were like a lot more, there were, there was a lot more layers to the jam. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of space. Uh, there's a lot of synths from page, like mm-hmm. kind of adding textures. Um, you mentioned it. I mentioned it earlier, they st- almost start to do the Plinko thing and then they back away from it and, and kind of go in a different direction. Um, and some of the other things that you hear in like, yeah, like modern 3.0 jams, like, um, uh, modulation in, in a, from a minor to major key, uh, which they'll do a lot in Karini now. Um, just kind of playing a little bit more patiently where it, I feel like it is a little bit more like some of the earlier, uh, 3.0 years is it feels like they have kind of abandoned the jam pretty quickly. Um, it's a really, really smooth segue into taste. Uh, they, they, mm-hmm. they earned that arrow Buttery. that appears there. Um, but it's only something like 12 and a half minutes in. Um, and it feels like there's more to be said in that, in that Carini and that maybe if that were like a 2017 or, you know, something jam like they might have played, you know gone on for another eight or nine minutes um so but it's good i thought i, I like the i like the like the uh, plinko light comments matt um it's almost like it's plinko into ambient for me it, it goes ambient really quickly i think uh and you kind of said you they abandoned the jam but it was almost like type two but not like raging type two for me quickly quickly in the Karini. um and I think that's what stood out.
Yeah, it's it's interesting because we have to remember like Carini started. You know, the first like big jam was like that uh, Amsterdam '97 Carini, and they they played it, but it was like it it ended up being sort of a little bit of a just a short, you know, a short song in the beginning of 3.0. Right. Even in the jam charts on Fishnet, most of the versions are like eight or nine minutes. Um, it didn't really, you know, come to be what we would expect it to be until until 2013. So I think this was like, and I don't know, maybe there are more jams like like this, like we're describing um, in 2011. But it feels like this is kind of the beginning of a new of a new sound, especially this song, which now plays like such a huge role in like gigantic jams. You know, well, and people often. Talk about it being a dark jam, you know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. it can it can take a dark turn. Yeah, this one is more upbeat, I think, than dark, but it's there, right? I mean, the the, the possibility or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and no, I think like now we expect the jam to become like eventually become a major key, like you know, bliss jam. It seems like that's what happens with Karini, but the this was this seems like one of the first that I can remember, so that's cool. And then, like Matt said, into into taste, which I thought was was pretty well played. Matt, was this a was this was this okay in your book? It was fun. I think this is one of the areas where like some of the composition was like a li- slightly rusty, um, but you know, once again, super super smooth segue into it. Um, you know, a fine uh, take on it. Um, this is. I'll, I'll reiterate my feeling that like a lot of these tastes should be marked uh, as having what's the use teases. Um, Cause there's mm. a lick yep. that Trey plays in this taste that he plays in a lot of tastes that is basically what's the use. Um, I don't know if that's intentional for him or if it's just like, you know, uh, a coincidence, but you've got it in this one. what I thought was a cool part because tastes like, you know, I could take it or leave it. Sometimes it's a cool song, but it's very similar. And I feel like it takes a lot for it to stand out. Um, But then the outro and the way that they start to get into ghost is really, really cool. Uh, Trey kind of lets this delay loop go and he very, very gradually is getting into it. Um, I don't know. Did you guys catch that? Like when, when there's just like they finished taste and they like very, very subtly shifted into ghost. It's pretty neat. Yeah, it felt like, I think you said this earlier, Matt, it felt like a lot of, like, patience was being exhibited. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like, the practice days up to this or, or whatever was going on, because it's interesting, There, there's not a lot happening in this in this year in terms of new music or, like, you could, you could think about 2013 in Wingsuit and, you know, the chilling, thrilling stuff and what happened in 2015 with Fare Thee Well. Like, you can tie some of the really good playing to external factors but i think here it just seemed like maybe they were just getting in the groove after uh, a couple of years of touring back together you know what i mean yeah yeah i i think that's probably where they were at i think trey even mentioned in an interview or something like that like this they even felt like this was the year where that they were like back as a band in the first mm-hmm. couple of years they were sort of getting their sea legs under them um, now I'll say, I started to say that I, I, the transition into ghost starts out really, really nicely. And then like that patience just goes <laughs> yeah, away man. and trade mm-hmm. just like, instead of letting it play out and actually being more of like, almost like a circa like 99 or 2000 ghosts 
start that's like creeps in over a long period of time he just starts singing and like fishman can't find the beat and like they're they're basically like while he's singing the first verse like trying to figure out how to start playing ghost and it turns into a little bit of a train wreck um i don't know (laughs) am i being overly critical there or did did you guys agree on that (laughs) Yeah, I think I think the jam is is good, and I think that's where the fans of the song, this version, will come from, because the beginning just wasn't. Yeah, I, I liked, I, I liked this whole the, the five songs here, Karina to If I Could, but I think the, I think you're pointing out a point that kind of stuck out for me as a hiccup. I agree. <laughs> I thought it was, it was a little bit weird that like out of these five, the ghost. Like Karini, Taste, Ghost, Boogie On, If I Could, I think Ghost was the least sort of memorable of them. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is which is not you know doesn't happen all the time. I feel like the Boogie On could have taken the place of Ghost and Boogie On. Like it could have been an epic. <laughs> to me, it stuck out really well, and I guess we're transitioning into that. Yeah, it was talk about that song, right? I mean, yeah, it's weird because it the Ghost was like almost fifteen minutes. So when I was looking mm-hmm. at the, the set list on Live Fish to see you know, the timing, I'm like, oh, this might be like an amazing ghost I overlooked, but um, no. yeah. the, the the Karini and then the Boogie On has some incredible, incredible playing from Trey. Yep. I think it's not forget about Paige either. I think Paige stuck out in that taste. And the first set, I think he really did well as well. Um, and uh, Mike sticks out to this, this Boogie On, but um, I, if, if, we used to name MVPs, RJ. Um, yeah, and I, I remember those days. Be, yeah, I think Paige would be mine for this for this show, for what it's worth. It, it's good. The jam is awesome. Um, once again, very very awkward rip cordy kind of shift into it. Um, mm-hmm. It's see, it feels bad. I feel bad saying rip cordy for fifteen minutes of Ghost, but it didn't feel like fifteen minutes of Ghost. It felt like you know maybe like eight eight minutes, and then they just like shift into boogie on really quickly and awkwardly which that's happened in the past for other shows and it has a tendency to basically like derail the rest of the show um you'll see this a lot in those saturday night special kind of shows where like they just want to like throw the you know super fun cover into the set once you get past the awkward shift into it uh it's awesome it's well played and the jam is like super super hot
phrase playing in this is is really fun and like pretty loose i think for a boogie on it's not like it doesn't stick to the kind of traditional solo it's like because he, he's 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 going off sweet i like it and then it's a it's sort of um tony mike is kind of tony-ish i guess from tab and in, in that um he, he just kind of is like going on and on and, and really laying a wonderful baseline for everybody to play off of I was listening to ghost of the forest today uh, again and <laughs> I was thinking about how Tony's bass playing and Tom, Tom has mentioned this, I think um, maybe on, on his podcast or to us or whatever, but like, he's a good, he's a good fit in a lot of ways for a lot of stuff when he just like, he just fills the role of like keeping it, holding it down. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was thinking on Ghost in the forest. Like there's Mike's, Mike's bass is just so like, there's so much texture and there's so much sound to it that, in in something like um about to run or something on on ghost of the forest i think mike would just it would just be a totally different song and maybe when he does that when he does that once in a while like on you know this like you're saying brad it it feels a little bit more groovy um does does that make sense matt tony is more of a traditional bass player you know he's there to hold down the low end not you know offer too much in terms of counter melody and stuff like that and mike mike we take it for granted. Mike is a very atypical bass player. There's not many, right. many mm-hmm. if any, people who play the bass the way that he does. Um, just like, and Mike's not like this, but Phil Lesh is, you know, not a typical bass player. I mean, these are not guys that are just going to play the root note and hold down the low end. They they've got something to say. Um, but those contexts with with like Tab or Ghost of the Forest, that's really more just about Trey and having a platform for Trey's playing and his songwriting. It's perfect because um, you know he stays out of the way. So this, if I could, I just felt was like such a great landing. Um, it was very, I don't know. I just thought it was a great cooldown. And it's funny I, that our our ninety four review included three if I coulds, and then. This, <laughs> right. right. This show's got if I could too, and we were talking, but maybe it, they didn't play it enough afterwards. But yeah, we found one. Yeah, I mean, the, like the song itself. So it's been played fifty six times. Think about this since it since it debuted in ninety four, and it's only been played nine times in the past. You know, ten actually actually nine t- ten times in the past fifteen or or so years. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So it's just it's just a it's a rarity, you know, and. um I think it's such a good song. It's one of my favorites. Beauty. But this one was well well done. I feel like Paige, to your point earlier, Brad, he was, I think, trying in a lot of ways to to kind of carry some of these songs. Like in the first set, the Torn and Frayed, which I think was mm-hmm. not terribly well executed, Paige was just trying to like hold the whole song together with his with his vocals. And that happened a couple times with him with him on the piano. <laughs> so I thought it was cool. Did did you have anything to say about it, Matt? Um, no, I, I love it. I think it was a great landing. Um, I've never seen if I could, I've just, just checking. I, I've wow. ne- it's, I absolutely love it. Uh, and I've never seen it. So I guess, I guess I'm going to think about chasing that. Um, but yeah, well, well played great breather. Um, and, uh, yeah, I approve. There's only, I've only seen it once and I don't know if you were at the show with me, Brad, uh, Polaris summer 98 in Columbus. Mm, Ju- I assume, in July. Yeah. I assume we were there together. Yeah. Which is yeah. kind of fucked up that I didn't see it at um, uh, Matt. We would have seen it if we had stick our, stuck around Vegas one more I night. I know. I know. Yep. God. Yep. Instead, we ended up on a. <laughs> you never leave. <laughs> Instead of being at the show, we ended up on like a fifteen-hour 
travel back to DC. Yeah. That was, they were telling us something, weren't they? Yep. I don't know who they are, we but got, someone. We got punished. We did. So, um, Quinn the Eskimo, not good um, in this case. <laughs> <laughs> really, really pretty. That was pretty rough. I don't know what was going on, but it sounded like only one of them was playing Quinn the Eskimo. But by, by the end, they sort of pulled it together. I feel like this is one of those songs that, it, in theory, it's a very easy song to play. It's pretty straightforward. And maybe that was like one of those like, oh, let's just do Quinn when they hadn't rehearsed it or thought about it. And then you start playing and it's like, oh, shit, maybe I don't actually know how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, it's a, it's an interesting cover because they don't they don't play it that much, but it, it feels it feels like. I don't know. Does it feel like a special thing when they play it? It, it never. I've seen it several it a few times. It did in Hampton, right? Yeah, I guess Hampton is the was the bust out first right. time, first time yeah. since since back in the day. But I don't know. It doesn't like it doesn't ever strike me that as like oh my god, I can't believe they're playing this. But I guess maybe right. usually because it comes as a as an encore. I feel like it's a. I feel like it's special also because Jerry used to play it, the JGB. You know what I mean? Which is different. Yeah, um, that both of them played it, and and that's usually not the case. But it's also not uh, it's not a song that just jumps off the page at me, right? It's a cool song and it's it's unique, but that's about it. Into Harry Hood, short Harry Hood, not super notable, but but Hood Hood on the tour opener, which I think is cool. You know, anyway, mm-hmm. it, just whatever, do it, just do it, just play Harry Hood. What do I care? You know, I got, I got nothing against it. This one didn't really stick out to me, but I but I always like listening to it. Did, you, did it to you guys? Was it sort of a like just sort of standard run through? Safe, yeah, safe-ish. I just it was standard, yeah. yeah, safe. And it's it could have been a epic spot, right? But it wasn't. And yeah, two word opener, so yeah. yeah. And then into cavern into the, the the little buried alive reprise. So that was like the you know. Third, all full circle. Yeah, the th- yeah. The third. Was, did Buried Alive come come back at all in the show besides in Runaway Jim? Was it teased at all in the second set? I don't remember hearing it. No, I don't think so. I didn't no. hear it anywhere. They just went back to the beginning of the show, and then they then they uh, Loving Cup encore, and then it's on to, you know, the rest of summer tour. Um, night well, two actually, though they played two actually, nights. Right? Actually, they came back here the next night. Yeah, <laughs> and on they were night. out of yeah. there into that place again. <laughs> but um cool so everybody enjoy yourselves out there and um as of june 12th check in with us because we're gonna bring back quick hits they're they're back we're back Uh, they're back everybody's back if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna do a quick hit please do not look out on us yeah don't look out on (laughs) us. we spend a (laughs) tremendous amount of time while fish is on tour like texting and tweeting and calling people and being like, are you going to yeah. do this thing that you hey, said Wook, that you are you up? do? So, you know, it's cool. Um, do, do whatever you want, but if you're going to do a quick hit, don't walk out. I haven't looked at the data, but it feels like the people who have walked out are the non wooks and the wooks have actually mm. like shown up. It's like the people who have like, mm. you know, I like this. who wear like ties, this shirts and ties or yeah. something, you know, anyway, just don't, just don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't walk out on yeah. us. Bullshit. Because then, then Matt and I end up talking about a show that we didn't exactly, go to. exactly. Yeah. And who wants to hear it's that besides yeah. besides all the people who subscribe? So um, b- between us, what shows are we seeing on this tour? I'm going to uh, Merriweather and Camden and Dicks. How about you, RJ? Ah, uh, man. Um, I'm doing uh, Spec and maybe that's it. Jesus, that's it. Brad, you're going to Camden too, right? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks, man. Camden, Camden. Say, I have tickets for you. Yeah, that's where you're going. Camden and Spec. That's it. Matt, Brad, are you doing any shows? I don't think so. I I, I got our my my three day dicks passes, but our wives planned something for us. Remember? All right, guys. Um, Thanks everybody for tuning in and listening to us. Um, Yeah, thanks. We really appreciate you all out there, and and. You know, you can find us anywhere on where you can find podcasts, but give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts because it helps other people find our find our nonsense. So we appreciate it. Brad, um, where can people find us on the internet? Do you know? <laughs> we have our own website. It's pretty neat. <laughs> wow. And then we're on Twitter, HFPod. And then our email is really long. It's helpingfriendlypodcast <laughs> at Gmail. I mean, I don't know what we were thinking with that, RJ, but... You could email us if you want. Uh, we didn't think HFPod would be a thing until people started using it, but that was mm-hmm. cool. Um, yep. So, yeah, everybody, thank you. Thank you all for, for listening, and, and just we'll see you out there on the road. If you see us at a show, say hi. Um, just be careful of, of Matt because he's, you know, he, he can lash out, so you don't want to catch, catch him at the wrong time. He's going to flip out and start yelling at you because he's from Philly, so you just never know. <laughs> he's, he'll edit you out. I will kung fu your ass. ass. (laughs) All right, everybody, keep on rocking. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.